This morning we come to the fifth word from the cross in our series on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And the word this morning is thirst from John chapter 19 verses 28 to 37. Now among the seven last words of Jesus, at first glance it appears that these words look a little bit insignificant when compared to the others, especially considering the context and everything that was happening at Calvary. So this simple statement almost seems out of place among the more dramatic ones that Jesus made from the cross. Yet we need to look a little closer. And and if we do that, we find that there is more than meets the eye. As the three hours of darkness from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, as the hours of darkness have now passed, Jesus is nearing death. John, the only disciple who was there, he was witnessing this and that's why he makes those statements that we read, that his testimony, his witness is, is true. He's saying, I was there. I was actually there. I cannot get that out of my mind. I, I recall every word, every drop of blood, the whole lot. And what I'm saying to you is true. Let's read again, John chapter 19, 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth. Now in our series in the Gospel of John that we started Last year, and we're going through a bit of a pause at the moment before we resume soon. Now, in our series in John, we have mentioned many times that the Gospel of John has many layers. And in order to understand it better, you need to dig a little deeper from just the the, the quick reading, just by skimming across the top. What is it that John is actually saying? And and you dig a little deeper and a little deeper and you see that John is is full of meaning and and, and purpose with everything that he writes. And under under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is is marvellous. This is so, we are so privileged to be able to have this. And so I just want to give a little bit of a background here uh, to understand a little bit deeper why did John put these details in there. Now, when the soldier gave him the sour wine, vinegar, in other words, that's wine that has gone off, when he gave him the the, the vinegar, it was on a hyssop reed and they put the sponge on it. Some people think that it, uh, it was mistranslated because a hyssop reed is only a stalk, like strong grass that uh, grows along, along the, the rivers and probably only as long as about two feet long. But when you go back 
and look at the original Passover in the Old Testament. It was the hyssop branches that they were supposed to use to put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost with. And then the the hyssop, not only there, but the hyssop was associated with purification and sacrifices in the tabernacle. You read that from Leviticus chapter 14. Now, no doubt, no doubt at all that John had this background in mind when he wrote his Gospel. It was the blood of the Passover lamb that saved the people of God then and it all wasn't just about something that happened then, it was pointing to something much greater that was going to happen in Calvary, Golgotha, when the blood of Christ would save us from sin. So what, what are we to make of these, this word of Jesus? Two simple words in this statement, I thirst. First of all, it was physical. It was physical. I believe the first reason that we are made aware of Jesus' statement here is to show us that he really did experience real pain, real sorrow, real torture there on the cross. He was human. Jesus' word, I thirst, reminds us of Jesus' physical nature, his humanity. He wasn't just simply play-acting on the cross, a divine being merely pretending to undergo a physical act of torture that no one could touch him. He wasn't an actor from Hollywood. This was tangible, physical suffering of extreme thirst, And I think thirst is something that we can identify with from our own personal physical experience. Such a simple statement, isn't it? How many times have you said that during your life? Kids will often come up to you and say, I'm thirsty. It's a common human condition, the most common human condition of the, of the body. Our bodies are made up 60% water. So it needs to have a a daily intake of water in order for for our organs to function, for the cells to be replenished. If you fail to hydrate your body the way you should, then you will pass out and eventually your organs will begin to shut down. Dehydration. But there was another reason John had to emphasise the physical nature of Jesus. When John was writing his Gospel, it was around about the 90 AD, 90 to 95 AD, and there was a certain tendency that had already, a certain heretical belief that was already arising in religious and philosophical thought about the time. It was called Gnosticism. You might have heard the word because it's actually making a comeback. Now this thought was infiltrating the church and one of their weird teachings was that God was pure spirit, could never take upon himself a body because that because 
Spirit and matter and the physical is totally separate. One is corrupt, the other one is pure. So there was no, there couldn't be any possible connection between the two. Matter was evil, you see. They therefore taught that Jesus never really had a real body. They went on to argue that God could never really suffer and therefore Jesus never really suffered but went through the whole experience of the cross without any real pain. What rubbish. What rubbish. And this is why John in his first letter, this is his letter, not the Gospel, in 1 John 4, 2-3 says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. How many Antichrists are out there? The physical pain and torture that Jesus went through, he went through for you and me and gave glory to the Father in doing so. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their rejection of him, those were real tears, real pain, real hurt. The one sent from God, rejected by his own. So it was physical. The second reason, the second aspect of Jesus' statement at first is to fulfil prophecy. Every step of the way, God shows us through the fulfilment of the scripture that his son was indeed the Messiah. In verse 28 it said, And so the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now last week we spoke of David's words from Psalm 22 and how with uncanny accuracy Psalm 22 describes the sufferings of Christ. Now, Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before the cross. Crucifixion wasn't even invented as a form of execution back then. And yet, it transcends even the, 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 the times, even, even whatever experience David might have experienced in writing the psalm, it transcended all of that and could only find fulfilment in what happened in Calvary. One of the descriptions within Psalm 22 is when is the thirst of Christ. And, and David put, put it this way, Psalm 22, verse 15, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. A lot of us uh, like to go to the bush and spend a bit of time in the outdoors. Usually we are quite careful and, and, and take enough water for us, for our trip, for our journey. But every now and then, I, I, I know you understand what I'm talking about, that we have been caught out and suddenly the, the journey is a little bit longer than what we thought. We might even got lost a little bit and rather than you consuming whatever water you have left, you give it to your children or to your friends or others because we're all pretty selfless, aren't we? 
Yeah. We know the experience of thirst. And then on top of, the, of that, in your, in your mind, you don't want to let the, the other people know, but you are starting to get desperate and saying, wow, we, we need to find a fountain of water, a creek some, somewhere to, to drink something. And what happens when you start getting dehydrated is that your glands, the glands that keep your mouth moist and helps you to consume food, they start to dry up and your tongue actually starts to, sw- uh, to be swollen. And so your, the cavity inside your mouth actually starts to fill up and starts putting pressure inside between the inside of your mouth. It's called dehydration. That's what it says here, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's why it happens sometimes when you're speaking. You need a bit of water. Happened actually um, when I was doing Luke and Tiffany's wedding in, uh, in Colorado. It's so dry over there, it's unbelievable. And I was talking, I would just... Quick, get me some water. This is in the middle of the service, by the way. So, it's, it's real. You might have been in a more sombre environment in, in hospital next to, next to a loved one who is sick. And there's a note there that says, no liquids. And sometimes they will have a little bit of ice so you can at least wet the the lips of the person who is, who is your loved one there at hospital. It's a, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. Psalm 69 verse 21, David says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. The sour wine is... Is, is vinegar. And, and both of these psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, they begin with the sufferings of David but have their full meaning, complete fulfilment only in the suffering of Christ so that the prophecy is fulfilled. And even as Jesus grew, because he took on our flesh, and even as he grew, he he knew the scriptures inside out. I mean, he wrote the stuff in the first place and, 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 and spoke about his suffering and his death. And there was obviously this, this willingness that he had to fulfill each of these prophecies to the letter. The best known passage is, of course, the first reading this morning, which was, the 50, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He poured out his life. He poured out his blood, sweat and tears until there was nothing more to give. 
he was ringed out. That is why John makes the connection for us. And on a practical level, on a practical level, Jesus asked for something to drink. Why? Because of what he was about to say. He wasn't finished. He was about to finish, but he wasn't quite finished. Because he needed to moisten his mouth just a little bit because of what he was about to declare with a loud voice. To push himself up on the cross, that, that, that last few breaths that he would take were not going to be wasted. Today, of course, people continue to doubt and question and even mock the suggestion that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was, as they say, some historical figure, some prophet. In Monty Python style, he was just some lunatic claiming to be God incarnate. Max Lucado, Christian writer and pastor, in his book, He Chose the Nails, he wrote this, he said... Why in his final moments was Jesus determined to fulfil prophecy? Because he knew we would doubt. He knew we would question. And since he did not want our heads to keep his love from our hearts, that's a good statement. He did not want our heads to keep his love from our hearts. He used his final moments to offer proof that he was the Messiah. There are 332 distinct prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 332. And all of these prophecies written by different men, all connected under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, hundreds of years, thousands of years before Christ. And they should remove all doubt. They should. Because Jesus fulfilled them all in every way. It was spiritual. Our third point, it was spiritual first. Now last Sunday we spoke on the fourth statement from Jesus, from the cross, which was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had never experienced being forsaken by the Father. And we explained that. We explained the reasons why. This expression, this, this, this declaration, again, fulfilling the psalm, this alone would have produced a deep longing, a hunger, a thirst to be once more at one with the Father. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. When can I go and meet with God? In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. She's been married and divorced five times, living with a man who wasn't even her husband at the time. She's been ostracised and even an outcast probably even among her own people because 
of her lifestyle. And Jesus asks her to draw water from the well for him and he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me and I would give you living water and you will never thirst again. Then likewise in John chapter 7, Jesus said to the multitudes in verse 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. And it's precisely these two passages, John 4, John 7, which I believe are are, are a backdrop. And John wants us to read Jesus' words from the cross, I thirst. He who was the source, the fountain of living water, is now thirsty as he dies on a cross. The source of life, of grace, of hope, of love, of living water drying up. Can you feel the pathos in this scene and in his words? And just like God made the human body to have sufficient water or liquids to function properly, he also made our soul in such a way that it needs to have connection with God, a spiritual connection with God. You turn that off, You let that go dry and you will see the consequences in the rest of your life. Loss of meaning, loss of purpose, loss of significance and you'll forever be asking yourself, what is all this for? When we are separated from God, we have a thirst, an empty spot that can only be filled by what God supplies. Nothing can fill that thirst except God. And lastly, what is behind those words? It is to give us a description of hell. Yes, hell has been in the news lately, hasn't it? Rugby union. Rugby player makes a statement and everybody goes berserk. Was he telling the truth? Yeah. No, but it's not, it's, it's not what he said, it's how he said it. Well, how are you supposed to say it? Well, in the context of love, but your social media doesn't give you that much space. You just make a statement and that's it. Get people to research and say, is this true? Go and read the Bible. Go and read the source. That's the point of it. You want me to give you a full explanation? And there have been different leaders from all different sources, from the Pentecostals and the Anglicans and the Baptists and the Catholics and even homosexual leaders have come into his defence. Shame on us. Shame on us that we feel so apologetic for something that Jesus has given us in his word.
If you don't believe in hell, you've got nothing to worry about, do you? Why should it upset you? Because everything to you is, is a joke anyway. But Jesus gave us a real description of, of hell. Many times he spoke of it. In fact, he spoke about it more than heaven. While being forsaken by the Father, Jesus suffered the consequence of sin for us. And the, the consequence of sin is, is hell. And scholars for thousands of years have, have argued over the words from the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell for us. It's been a long, long discussion. What actually happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? We won't go there. It's a long debate. But at least say that on the cross, he experienced hell for us so that we would not have to. For all the images that we have of hell, hell is a place of unending suffering and one of the most described sufferings is actually thirst. In Luke chapter 16, our Lord told about a man who died and woke up in, in hell. In torment, he begged for someone to what? In Luke 16, 24, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Hell is not some unending party. Hell is a place of eternal thirst and torment. Those who are condemned to suffer there for eternity will forever thirst, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Why do you think we are so adamant? Why do you think the missionaries went to the mission field? Why do you think so many Christians gave their life to share the gospel? Because in love, we don't want people to go there. It's not just about getting offended. It's about loving people to the point that even if you kill me, I'm still wanting to share the gospel with you. Heaven, however, is very different, isn't it? There is no thirst in heaven. Revelation 7.16 says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Revelations 22.17, which is the last invitation in the Bible. A lot of invitations in the Bible. This is the last one. Take the water of life freely. Take the water of life freely. How good is that? The question is then, is not do you thirst because all mankind has a thirst for reality, for fulfilment, for satisfaction, for purpose, for meaning. A thirst for forgiveness, a thirst for God, even though it is not often verbalised or displayed. The question for you, from me to you this morning is, if you haven't yet given your life to Christ is 
How long are you going to go on thirsting for? You can continue as you are. And if you are happy with that, you will go on thirsting for all of eternity. But why do that when Jesus offers us the invitation to come to him, the source of life? And if you're one of those this morning, I would love to have a chat with you this morning about what that means, what it means to drink from Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55 says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Love that. And I hope and pray that those of us who have already drunk from the first sip of living water, continue to drink, continue to come, continue to be filled, nourish and replenish like that deer the psalmist described, the painting for the waters of life that Jesus gives. And it's all because of the cross and what we remember and ponder this day in Calvary. God bless us. Amen.